This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers Podcast. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Introducing Norm Self-Checkout for All. Do you often find yourself in a tizzy with a credit card reader? Or perhaps tiptoeing around tipping etiquette? Maybe even paying scandalously steep card not present fees? Norm is here to solve it all. Think of Norm as payment simplified. No card reader for you. No wallet for your client. Instead, patrons pay and tip you straight from their phones. Checkout details are carried through the ether by either a text message or QR code. Your client receives a notification and pays with their previously saved card details. All they have to do is add a grand, luxurious gratuity. And all available with one low rate as a part of Schedulicity Pay. Try Norm Self Checkout for All. Safe, secure, and shockingly simple. Find out how using Norm can increase tips, speed up payment, and free you from unreliable card readers all at one low rate. Visit paywithnorm.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, man? What's going on, brother? So we made a big commitment um, uh, at the beginning of the year, or really about a year ago, that that we wanted to start to bring people from outside the industry into our industry, just to kind of talk about different things, try to get an outsider's perspective. Because I think sometimes, you know, particularly with like um, with like Instagram and stuff, our our, our industry is so insulated at times. Um, we we sometimes we forget. I, I'm seeing like Saturn's orbit. We forget to see the orbit around kind of. Um, around our industry you know so our commitment was to bring some people in that are from outside the industry but have a lot and tons to offer the industry and i mean perfectly you know clubhouse opens up and then you know clubhouse has been a great place for us just to kind of uh, peek around and poke around and vet who uh, who else is out there because it's not all about the industry absolutely because it, it's like saying you know like exercise is only for for instructors or for uh people who are fit like personal trainers right? exactly you know what i mean so no uh leadership is not and that's what today's topic is it's not necessarily for your salon manager you know what i mean or your salon owner i mean to learn from anybody who's done it, especially at a high level, as a lot of as our guests today, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to grab a lot of information from. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. We're, we're and we're also committed. It's funny because as leadership, we're kind of committed to that as well. And we and, and and over the next couple of weeks, or you've heard a couple in the past, but but you know we're really trying to talk about leadership because right now more than any other time, if you want to step into a leadership role, it's available to you. You know, because 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 the industry is so like chaotic in a weird way. You know, and, and, and it's time for leaders to step up. So any any time that we can help somebody, even if you're like a first year hairdresser, you know, you can um you can step up in some kind of leadership role, or at least understand but, what your role is. But so many salons in our in our in our industry has shut down too. So if you were a prior manager, a prior leader in another shop, and you're going to move into another shop, uh, you need to sharpen your tool. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no and doubt. so there's no better way to sharpen your tool than learn from people who've been there at a high level. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So 
listen, I, I, I'm going to be completely frank with the audience. Like I'm obsessed with like Navy SEALs. And the reason that I'm obsessed with Navy SEALs is because they are the elite of the elite, right? They're, 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 as David Goggins puts it, they're the uncommon amongst the common, you know? And, and, and we thank goodness for clubhouse. We actually found our guest today. Our guest, his name is Steven drum. He's recently retired from, um, uh, he retired as a master chief from the United States Navy. And he is a, I don't know what, we'll, what we'll to get into it. I don't know, former or, current i mean once you're a seal are you always a seal or are you like a former seal you know i don't know what that is but but we'll kind of get into that too anyway so he he was he was a navy seal and if you know anything about the seals and stuff you know leadership is uh is is a big part of what they do especially once you're a master chief uh, for those that don't know master chief is is the top enlisted um rank yeah um, it, like we both read uh, Jocko's book where they talk about leadership uh, when they were doing the uh, the boat race, right? Mm. And you and this one boat, particular boat, was struggling, right? And he had a feeling it might have been the leader, so he'd switch leaders. And next thing you know, that boat that was always last was competing now, right? So it just shows you, especially in, in the SEALs, but uh, in every form of business or any type of, of you know, business that you need to have a solid strong leader and that leader can either make or break you preach shall we get in yeah all right let's do it mr steven drum master chief drum if you may <laughs> welcome to your day off man hey thanks so much for having me uh, i will start off by saying that it's i'm surprised but also really enthusiastic about how my message will resonate with different communities, different industries. And so I really appreciate kind of being given a platform and opportunity to talk with a, a group, an industry that I probably normally wouldn't get a chance to. So that's exciting to me. So I appreciate you bringing me on for, for this talk. Dude, absolutely. I mean, like I said, we're, we're so committed to the industry, you know, like, like we want, we want it, we want to help better the industry. So, you know, if we can bring on badass people to help it, to help uh, better the industry, we're all down, man. And that makes it even cooler. It does. Kind of, <laughs> certainly cool for us. So, so back to what he was saying uh, in the opening, is it once a seal, always a seal? Is it? You know, I don't know what the official answer for that is. Because <laughs> it kind of depends on what you ask. I just kind of say, uh, uh, I used to be cool once. I used to do cool stuff. <laughs> but no, I just say retired, retired SEAL. And the reason I say, you know, retired Master Chief is because a lot of people kind of in the military, everybody knows who a captain, an admiral, a general is, right? But people often don't know the senior enlisted ranks, right? And so it's important for me to communicate that leadership, we started learning leadership in the enlisted ranks from day one just like the officers in a slightly different path. Like we'll never be in command of a, of a ship or, or a unit, but we will be that senior advisor, right? We're telling the commander exactly how his decisions, his policies will affect the mission, will affect the guys on the ground. And so that's kind of why I, I lead with that. So people kind of understand just how much leadership there is at the senior enlisted levels of the military. I, I love that, and you know, a, a good officer is one that listens to their 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 uh, ed, um, senior enlisted enlisted because you know usually a young officer has only been in for a couple of years and they're trying to learn their ways a little bit, you know. Where the master chief has been in for you know twenty or thirty years, so he knows the way things work, you know. And and you know if 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 you can lean on them, then you know your your mission moving forward is going to be a lot easier. You know? 
Absolutely, because you're not going to give a uh, someone who's just fresh out of school the reins to run your company. No, that's true, right? Got to got to earn the way. <laughs> All right, Steve. So this the, the, this next part of the conversation is truly for me. Maybe nobody cares about it, but uh, <laughs> but, but but real quick. So um, we all know about the famous Budge training, um, and my nephew currently is 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 an instructor at Buds. Like. And for, again, for those that don't know, you know, BUDS is, Buds is, is a six-month um, training program that, that the SEALs have to go through. And it's their initial, it's their basic kind of training there. But like with my nephew, he had 180 in his class and I think like 12 or 15 graduated. So 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 many people get washed out in that process. Um, it, it's tough. It's supposed to be the toughest training in the world, certainly in the military world. Um, so, so, dude, what was BUDS like? You know... It's so funny. I well, what it was like. It, it was never quite to the point where it was as hard as I had built it up in my mind to be. That said, it was extremely difficult, and at times I very much had questioned my con. I had quite confidence issues, right, as to whether I could kind of make it through or not. Right, not that I would be ready to quit, and I never. I never came close to actually quitting, but I did worry. I would say, oh, well, we've got, we, you know, Hell Week is pretty straightforward for people that don't know for the unenlightened, right? It's that five-day fun fest consisting of almost no sleep, constant physical activity, and frequent immersion into the cold water, right? You're cold, wet, tired, hungry pretty much the whole week. And, and it, it tests fundamentally your ability to work with your teammates to put your the mission the team the boat crew above your own personal sense of suffering and it also teaches you that yes your body can go further than you initially think you can always go one step further you can always do more and so it was pretty straightforward to me I think the initial challenges with most people is anybody in decent physical shape can get through a day or two, maybe even a week of buds. But when you look at the totality of, hey, I got to do this stuff for six months, that's where a lot of people really, they don't see that light at the end of the tunnel and they they decide that they're going to take an easier path and they kind of deselect themselves. Uh, but I, fortunately for me, I was able to kind of emotionally detach from these bad days and the setbacks and say, hey, you know, initially very early on, they just kicked the crap out of us, right? Because they're trying to just get the the people that don't belong there they just so they hammer us really hard and i actually felt the first kind of four or five days was actually harder than hell week because of the mental thing of like oh my god this is like this intensity but if you if you detach emotionally you say hey um they can't keep doing this forever. Eventually they're going to have to teach us some shit, right? So <laughs> right. like, we're going to have to get in the classroom because there was none of that the first week we lost like 25 guys the probably the first uh, couple days, just right off the bat. And I remember going back to my room and all my roommates were packing up and I'm like, where are we going? What's going on? They're like, well, we're, <laughs> we're done. We're out. Well, this isn't for us, but uh -huh. you know, and so, but I, I was able to, to kind of, I, I did okay with the stuff in the first phase. A lot of the, challenging things like with it where you swim with your arms and legs tied behind your back um drown proofing they call it uh dive phase a, a bit more challenging dive phase you find your second major hurdle which is known as pull comp which is where they go down and tie all your scuba gear and knots and, and you you try not to panic and problem solve it's they, they test your ability to perform under pressure do and they, then lastly i was always worried about land navigation so again there was confidence issues but 
you know. Do they help you with your confidence? Like, like in the classroom, are they saying, you know, this, there, this is some stuff to do, whether it's meditation or whether it's just calming the heart rate down. Do, do they kind of help you so you can survive and then see if you can do it? Or do they just throw you in the, I guess it's not a proverbial pool. They just throw you <laughs> in the pool and, and, and make you drown. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and so my answer to that is they do that now. Right. They do that now. I think when before I went into hell week, they had a chaplain kind of talk to us about resilience and commitment. I don't even remember what the hell he said, but uh, they make it a more intentional piece now. And so the studies have shown with Pullcom specifically, once they started introducing performance psychology techniques that they went from, you know, you had guys that would go through hell week, they would run through a wall for one another. Yet when they came under the water, to perform under pressure with their stuff, like all tied in knots, a lot of them would panic and they would fail or they would perform something incorrectly and out of sequence. Uh, they were only getting one third of all trainees through. And this was like 2006. Like we had the surge going on. We needed more seals on the battlefield. And so they started introducing performance or sports psychology and they went from one third to two thirds actually succeeding back in the day. We didn't have that. And what we learned intuitively with some of these techniques that we would use in mental rehearsal or visualization, uh, learn how to regulate your emotions, lower your arousal, as we say it, and self-talk and things like that. And those of us that were successful were able to kind of pick up that intuitively. And so that's a lot of what I, I do now is helping people be more intentional, be more deliberate for their kind of critical and high stakes moments and periods in time. I'm fascinated by that because I know that and I've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times too, is, um, and you were there, <laughs> uh, a few years, a few years ago, like 95 or something, Steven, I was on, I was, I had to do my first like live presentation. My first live presentation was like in front of 300 people. And I literally, my brain went dead. You know, like if you asked me in that moment what my name was, I'm not sure if I could have given it to you, you know, and then I'm sitting on stage and the only thing I can think of is like, how the hell do I get off stage? <laughs> you know, I haven't said a word, but how do I get out of here? Like, like, like I was so much in flight right like yeah in 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 the what's it called fight or flight fight or flight right fight fight or freeze fight or free well yeah yeah i I definitely froze and like and like i had no fight left in me because i was just how do i get out of here how do i get out of here and i couldn't even like process how to do that coincidentally ironically whatever it kept me off stage for almost 15 16 years and even five years later I would like wake up from dream, like a nightmare, like sweating five years later, bringing me back to that stage, you know, or, or trying to get off. I was still getting off that stage five years later as it would be. I so wish that I had kind of like your techniques or techniques to kind of, you know, kind of, I wish I knew that that was going to happen or, or what could happen. So, so help me out. What, how, how should have I better prepared? Okay. So I love it. Right. I love talking about this stuff. So what happens is when you get an emotional impulse, right? When your nervous system picks up, there's uh, like 30 billion nerves. And and when one of them detects a a certain emotional response, it fires up the caveman part of our brain, right? The reptile part of our brain known as the amygdala. Uh, And and when that spikes, if it spikes too high, you get into, depending on who you talk to, either the black or the red zone. I like to use the red zone. When you're in the red zone, you think uh, of green, yellow, red. When you're in the red zone, you lose your ability to think clearly, to uh, possess your fine motor skills, to think critically, right? To be, be composed. And so you're prone to either lock up out of fear, you're prone to say things in a relationship, in an argument that you're going to later regret. Uh, you're prone to just not be 
behaving in a way that's going to get you to your objective in that situation. And so there's a whole way of managing that. We call a lot of it arousal control, right? When you're in that black zone, you need to develop competency. You need to develop self-efficacy to lower that arousal control. And there's a bunch of ways that we do that. And fundamentally, the number one thing is treat everything that's important as a craft, which means that there's skill development, that there's, you, you know, a mental component to being at your best in those moments. There's certain attributes that you need in terms of being adaptable, being resilient. And so if I'm about to get on stage and present something, fundamentally, what do I need to do? Well, I need to make sure first that whatever I'm going to say is well rehearsed, well thought out, and I know how to deliver it. And I've gone over it and over it and over it again, right? And then from there, I'm also going to say, well, what if? What happens if, if, if my slides don't come up? What happens if my mic cuts out? What happens if people seem to be tuning out, right? I need to be able to work through those situations. And so then I actually get on and I rehearse and I do those things and I develop the skills and the basic things that we need to do to be successful. Now, beyond that, when things are really scared, like when I really, really don't want to present in front and just using that as an example, then I need to also invest in my mental game. And one of the ways we can do that is, is mindfulness and meditation, which is basically, if you don't know what that is, being mindful is your ability to stay in the moment, to notice distractions, to notice yourself, you know, your hands sweating, your heart racing, but to be able to stay engaged and stay in the moment, not worry about consequence. So mindfulness and meditation training get you there, as well as some fundamental breathing. When you start to feel stressed, you start to do long and slow, what we call box breathing, to lower that arousal. And, and you also do mental rehearsal, visualization, self-talk, a whole litany of techniques that you can do to make sure that you're mentally prepared before you go into those really high stakes, those really situations where you know you could get angry or afraid. So uh, you, you mentioned box, um, box breathing. Is that like the four-second thing? You know, I, I don't believe in prescribing a a set when i teach it typically how i teach it if we're saying all right we're gonna in, in typically when you do mindfulness meditation it almost always starts off with the breathing and the reason for that is is i can't breathe for yesterday i can't breathe for tomorrow right i breathe for the here and now and so we always kind of start off with the breathing that's a great way to center ourselves now when you're trying to lower that arousal lower that energy level the the, the prescription that i use is to inhale diaphragmatically in your nose, filling up your diaphragm for five seconds. Hold for two, exhale for six, hold for two and repeat. And the point is, and that's just a general prescription that I'll guide people through when I do uh, workshops and things like that. Um, but ultimately, it's not as important as that you're breathing long and slow. A lot of people, you know, you've heard, hey, dude, calm down, take a deep breath. Well, when you do that, <laughs> It actually floods more oxygen into your brain and it increases that fight, flight, or that, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. Instead, you want to make it long and slow, right? And so you find a, a tempo that's right for you is, is kind of what I recommend. And then you count out sets. Like I'm going to count to 10. Every exhalation breath is going to be uh, a, a one count, right? Uh, and do that. And you'll you'll find yourself kind of lower in that energy. Uh, but if you need to practice it, right? You can't wait till the guy cuts you off in traffic <laughs> the first time and your kids are yelling at you in the back you gotta you gotta practice it on the outset 
<laughs> we know, we know what that's that's like, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, don't that, be tailgating him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess you know, um, over the years, you you've developed, you know, uh, all these techniques. Right. And so is that when you, when I guess when you retired is, you know what, I'm going to go and put all this together and create this and go out and teach, uh, you know, how to teach leaders, how to be better leaders and how to, uh, maybe understand and, 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 you know, not react to your, to your group. Cause that, that's one of the things I find in leadership is when, uh, you know, they react instead of, uh, you know, respond. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they just react instead of respond. And, uh, and it reminds me that when you said it takes you to that red or black zone, maybe that's their, when they, when they respond or react to you and they're, they're there. Uh, and they, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but they, they, you know what I mean? Like I've been in a situation where, uh, instead of having a conversation or letting me know or coach me up that, you know, it's a, it's a negative reaction. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's like I, you know, I cut them off on the highway, and, and instead of uh, showing grace and mercy, they just react, and, and, and you know, not necessarily punish, but they, they don't coach you up. So, when you were creating this program, is it telling them how to, or teaching them better leadership fundamentals, or? Well, I will give you the background as succinctly as possible. You know, my last tour in the Navy, I came up, I left the uh, Virginia Beach area in 2015 and came up here to do what was called the dive motivator uh, position at Navy boot camp, which is in North Chicago, Illinois. And, and our job was to to oversee the training where young men and women would come in to try out to be, they have a contract already to be uh, divers, air rescue, uh, SEAL, uh, SWIC, special warfare, boat drivers, uh, air rescue swimmers, right? And they'd come in and we'd give them the progressive run and swim training, the mentoring. And so when I would give them what I thought was critical was the mentoring piece. I really tried to dissect not just what got me through training, but also what helped me succeed along my career, the things that I learned uh, by doing poorly, the things that I learned under great leaders. And, and just so happened that started to coincide with in 2017, I retired in, in 2019, but in 20, the fall of 2016, we started talking about the idea that we need to get our young sailors and officers tougher. And we define toughness as your ability to take a punch and keep going, right? Not just in combat, but also like in career setbacks, loss and relationships, your ability to perform under pressure, right? When that amygdala, when those emotions, that fear, uh, and lastly, for you to deal with the day in day out grind of either very high tempo deployments or very, monotonous deployments where people need to be engaged uh, where 99% of the time it's boring, but that 1%, if they're not focused, people die. And, and so I was asked quite literally almost locked in a room with a clinical psychologist, a Navy chaplain and said, Hey, figure out a program on how to get tougher. Right. And from that, I developed a mindset based on, it was a framework. And it's uh, if you think about like a reflective, a, a loop, a cycle, it starts with commit, prepare, execute, and reflect. And it's a model that I used. And within that, we onboarded performance psychology techniques, mindfulness training, uh, character development, like the stoic uh, principles from, from the ancient Greeks and, and used by like Romans like Marcus Aurelius. And from that, 
I, I translated that into kind of the leadership and high performance mindset that teach salespeople leaders in a, a variety of different industries. Uh, I created, I translated that into a program. And so when I teach leaders, fundamentally, it's about let's get together. Let's be very formulaic in a simple way on how we can make sure that we're setting the table with skills, attributes, mental performance to get ourselves ready for those critical moments, periods of time in our lives, personal and professional, where we want to be at our best. That's incredible. I, I would never think that like a seal would be talking about mindfulness and stuff, you know, it's like, but, 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 but I mean that as a compliment, right? Right. It's like, it's like using everything that we have available to us, you know, to, to, to be able to like, you know, coach ourselves up or to better our best all the time, you know? And, and I think, I think if any of those, if any of those pieces are missing, then, then that's when we kind of plateau, you know, are we ready to make, ready to take kind of like the next step, you know? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, the program that you created to help uh, to make better leaders. Uh, you know, let's talk about, cause there's like pillars, right? That, that was there. Well, I don't listen. I mean, like, how do we define leadership? What are we looking for as a leadership? What are the things that we should be doing or, or let, let's get, let's start there, Steve. What, what, okay. How, how do we, how do we like define leadership for us? Well, you get a, a thousand different answers, but I, I fundamentally believe that leadership comes down to your ability to inspire, persuade those within your sphere of influence, right? So that includes, you know, subordinates, peers, and superiors alike. You you lead up as well as you do lead down and and horizontally, and that and that's what I believe. And I think that ultimately st- starts with I think the, the fundamentals of that are start with with self management, self leadership, mm-hmm. and then it starts with being able to be very intentional. Right. Not only being intentional with what you do, but being able to describe, translate and put into actionable steps the people that work with you and for you in terms of like, hey, these are our objectives. Here's exactly what you need to do. Here's your left and right limits. Here's this box for you to play in and be creative. Here's the things we can and can't do in terms of our our ethics, in terms of our legal guidelines of an organization or an industry. But within that, I want you to be creative. If you're getting towards this intent that I state, I want you to be as creative and as flexible as possible. I don't want to tell you exactly how to solve that problem because often you have bright young people who are going to come up with great ideas. And from there, it's about how do we, how do I help my organization be more proficient? And again, I go back to that brilliance on the basics. You know, in, in it's brilliance on the basics is being able to be uh chase the most and attempt mastery at some of the most fundamental aspects of your craft. And for us in the SEAL teams, it's weapons handling, it's tactics, it's use of equipment. So when we're on that X and we're on the spot, we don't have to think about it. It comes naturally. Instead, we're present, we're focused and engaged. And when we get down to uh, when we're on the execute part, right, we're actually doing that thing. When we're on stage, as you described, it's being able to be agile, It's being able to have situational awareness, to see the big picture, to understand how the decisions that you're executing in that situation, if they're working, if they're not working, and to help people kind of have their their ability to, again, maintain that awareness, vary their focus from the macro to the micro. And then lastly, what I think is, is not used enough, and I think the military does really, really well, is there what we call the military, our after action review process, assess, analyze, reflect. It's whether we're doing a large full-scale combat operation, a a three-week training block, 
we'll draft an after action report getting leadership lessons from every level of operations. But even after, if I send two guys into a room to clear that room, shoot targets, we're going to debrief it. We're going to hot wash that for maybe 30 seconds a minute. So we debrief, debrief, assess, analyze, reflect on just about everything we do. And I think I really encourage people to kind of find methods that work for them uh, individually, put time on the calendar, understand how we can have mentors that hold us accountable, and then also figure out as leaders how we find something, a a feedback process, a a reflection process that serves the team, serves the organization. I I love this so much, um, the uh, the after action report, um, because so many times, like if we messed up, right? Or, or we made a mistake. Now we want to reevaluate how everything went, but even in success, you know, you do the after you do the, you do the, um, the, the after action report, right? Because even in success, if one thing you're going to be like, Oh, that's why this was successful. Or we could have done, we could have, we could have sand at this corner a little bit in there as well. And, and I know so many times, like we talk about self-evaluation, you know, that's only when like, you know, the shit hits the fan kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So th- it, that that's exactly right. We become complacent with our successes and, and we get passed by others or we don't know how we succeeded. Maybe it was by chance. Maybe it was by luck. If we're not just deliberate in that assessment analysis of the things that go well as the things that go poorly, we don't, des- we don't, we don't grow. We don't develop. We don't have a process for repeating that success. And so I think that's exactly right. Uh, I, I love that you brought that out, right? We, we don't need to constantly, be told to take our hands off that hot stove when we touch it, right? But there is ways in which we can receive and we can give feedback to the people that work with us, that work for us, that drives us more effectively to our goals and our successes, probably in in a better way than people traditionally give others feedback. I love that. I do too. Another thing that um, that Steve said that that, that I know is going to like – uh, hairdressers are going to be excited about is, is to is to ha- have a have a common goal but then to work uh, creatively within that you know and, and to go back to the fundamentals you know hairdressers aren't very good at going back to the fundamentals you know those that are really really great are really really great at the fundamentals whether it's a haircut whether it's you know customer uh, service or whatever but to be able to even sales, even sales. Exactly. You know, go back to the fundamentals, the fundamentals, the fundamentals. Um, and then you can kind of kind of be creative outside of that. But so many times guilty, 100 percent guilty. I'm sure you're guilty of it, too, is that we want to get past the fundamentals so quick that we don't really understand the fundamentals. You yeah. know, we, we want to go back again. We're a creative industry. Yes, yeah, Steve. So, you know, we're, we're so like. Okay, okay, we know how to do that. Now, how can we break the rules? You know, you don't even really know the rules yet, but you want to break the rules, you know. But, you know, the idea of the rules is that you can't break the perimeter rules. You can only break the the internal rules there. So, so I, I mean, I think I think that's going to speak uh, volumes to hairdressers about, you know, keeping the fundamentals, but then, you know, being able to be creative um, within that. You've never really talked to hairdressers, or have you? Uh, I went one of the... One of the um public speaking programs that I went through had, had a, uh, a young lady that she was like really super young and, and she was really young compared to how successful she was. I'll put it that way. Uh, and she owned a salon. And so, uh, yeah. And she was a speaker as well. And just kind of speaking on, uh, on being an entrepreneur, but, but back to your, uh, early, but other than that, no, to answer your question, <laughs> I'll go back to your point, uh, about 
the fundamentals. Whenever we would deploy, and let's say we were going to Iraq in, in the mid-2000s, and we're running through, we're doing deliberate target assaults, close quarter combat, like you see in the in the movies, SWAT teams kicking indoors and blowing up stuff. And we're doing that at a very high rate of speed, right? And you're well gelled at that point. You've been working together for two years now, uh, everybody on that team, and you're moving, you're reading off one another, and you're moving really, really fast. When we get back from deployment, and we reboot, we go back into our uh, pre-deployment training again, we always break it down into the crawl. You have crawl, walk, run, progressive uh, progression. We're on the run on deployment and we're back to the crawl. And we absolutely visit those fundamentals because you've got to clean it up because inevitably you've gotten sloppy and we've got to make it very clean. And so I would encourage no matter what your industry or profession is that you go back to revisiting those basics. And within that, as you're doing that, I would, I would venture to say, you're going to learn, you're going to learn, you're going to, it's going to spark some creativity and some new ideas, right. within that. Um, but yeah, I just think it's so critical to, to be brilliant on those basics, to return to the fundamentals. That's that's amazing. Crawl walk crawl, crawl walk run. Yeah, I mean in, I in the that. sense of, you know, when you when you analyze your business and and, and there there is time where you, you where all three is necessary, right? Mm-hmm. But you got to know when. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. That's, I mean, <laughs> never I never really thought about it like that. It's true though. But I I also think that I, I digress. I right. I also think that um that's why, like, when you educate, you learn, yeah. right? Right. The greatest, the, the, the greatest learn opportunity is as you're teaching somebody else, because now you have to, you're not just going through the motions of saying, you know, you do it like this, you do it like that. You have to like, now you have to have a reason as to why you're doing it, which makes you think about it. It makes you defend your own position. You know, that doesn't just go for haircuts and stuff, but it makes you defend your own position, which makes you a better educator and makes you a better student as well. Well, and that's right. I got much better at tactics when I was in an instructor role, when I actually had to start teaching people assault training and uh, land warfare stuff. I got much better uh, when I was when I was an instructor, to your point. Well, was it because you had to defend your position and not 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 necessarily like defend it, like stand on a on a, you know, a soapbox or something, but kind of be like, well, why am I doing this? You know, and then kind of like process that through. Well, you know, we do a lot of we start off like, again, I'll keep it in the in the uh, the close quarter combat. Uh, frame of reference you go into a room you you have a number of of targets someone will be shoot no shoot right someone will be holding like so early on they'll be the guy who's like holding his badge out like that and you're like oh and if you don't you got a target id and, and you do that but eventually you start ramping up to where now you're shooting paint right you've got these uh these paint rounds called simunition bullets right and you're shooting them out of your like your assault rifle and your pistol and they they they'll light you up they'll sting a little bit and so you go from shooting targets now you start doing with live role players and so once you observe that and then you actually take that from that little kill house as we call it in in the, the southern united states now you go to urban cities and now you're taking it out on the street and and so when you do that enough you start seeing like what actually happens when people are actually kind of being shot at albeit paint 
and to kind of see, well, all right, well, this is why this we use this tactic, right? And you combine that with when you're in an instructor role, you're getting the feedback and the reports, the after action reports and talking to your buddies and different organizations at, at a high level. And they're telling you, hey, this is what we're seeing overseas. This is what's not working. This is what's working. And you start to, to modify and apply that. And so you're right there uh, at the cutting edge of, of tactics and helping implement and helping develop these tactics. I love that. It's got to be a lot of fun, huh? It was. I, I loved my time in, uh, in the SEAL teams overall. Like, everything's not fun, right? You you know, it's so funny. It's, uh, you know, there's so much time. You, you know, in SEAL recruiting videos, it's all the fun stuff. It's kicking in doors and blowing stuff up and, you know, and jumping out of planes. And, and that's what we love to do as SEALs. We love to to kick doors in and assault targets. That's what we live for, right? But so much of it is not that. Right. Again, Never mind. we've got the maritime component, right? We've got to do, spend a lot of time being really proficient with diving. Uh, we're the only ones in the military that do it, diving as we do it, not diving to go across the beach, not diving as a, as a mean of uh, infiltration, but diving, uh, you know, to, to harbor reconnaissance, to put things on ships and to blow ships up. We're the only ones in the military, in the U.S. military that does that. Uh, and, and so there's a whole just operating in the maritime environment. But one of our key uh Core taskings, core taskings are, can't even say taskings today, uh, <laughs> is to go to different countries, to work with near peer or peers like the, the Brits or the Norwegians, but to go to uh, third world countries, uh, you know, all throughout the world and help build their capacity, their capability. And it's not always fun. Your, your friends are doing the sexy mission, kicking the doors in, and you're with your unit training other people you're not getting in the fight you're getting sick off the food and as a leader that's where i was really challenged was not like oh my god the bullets are flying you know i'll be it that that can be stressful and you want you get stressed about not making the right decision under fire as a leader for sure but the real challenge is because the guys are, are awesome they do what they need to do they don't need to be like you know, instilled bravery in them because they're cowering. They do exactly what they're going to do, but when they're doing what they don't want to do, as in any leadership situation, doesn't matter where you are, that's where a good leader has to really find a way to instill a sense of purpose and commitment in, in those people in those situations. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of a story that my nephew told me when he was going through Buds. Um, and of course, when he got back, you know, you're like, what's the hardest bit and stuff? And, you know, everyone who goes to Hell Week, like you brought up, like Hell Week is the toughest. And he actually said for him... It was, I forget what they call it, but it was the week after Hell Week. It was, the, it was once you have the endorphin dumps, you're not allowed to run. You know, you got a bunch of type A personalities. You're not allowed to run. You're not allowed to work out. You can't leave base, right? Because if you leave base, they might put you in a hospital somewhere because your body looks so beat up. But he said that that was the toughest. And not only was it the toughest on him, but it was toughest on the unit. That's when all the guys started fighting, you know, because you just had an endorphin dump. And like, as we know, when you have an endorphin dump, everybody pisses you off. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And then, and then it's kind of sitting back and going, all right. And that that's actually news for, for, well, we'll tell our story. Like that's the way my, our, our families get the worst part of us after we've come back from like a, after we've come back from like a show during the weekend, because we've been, we've been hyped up, you know, for three or four days, you know, rolling, rolling, rolling. And then it wasn't actually until Matt told me my nephew until he told me about endorphin dump and how they talked about endorphin dump with him after, after hell week. But I, I've definitely, certainly not to that degree, I'm not comparing myself, but certainly like on Tuesday or Wednesday when we come home, there's just nothing to give. You know, you've given it all for the days before. So then, you know, our families get the worst part of us because now on Tuesday and Wednesdays, we're hanging out with them and they're like, what's wrong with you? You're just like, I just have nothing to give, you know? Uh, 
I can totally relate to that. And that, that it's funny because it's exactly as you described, you come back from all like a bunch of deployments just from being gone all the time and you're just tired. And, and again, you show up as, as not the person, or at least in my case, I was not the father or the husband that I needed to be, that I, that I wanted to be. And so when I helped create the warrior toughness program for the Navy, it was very critical to me. And this is still what I, what I help organizations with is I want you to show up consistently. I want the techniques that I give you, I want them to be applied to your personal and your professional life. I want you to apply full spectrum to every facet of your life because I don't know if you ever seen that movie with Mel Gibson years ago. We were soldiers once you ever seen that movie. Like he's basically Mel Gibson's a commander. He's like a army Lieutenant Colonel. He's got a very young junior officer and they're in the chapel and they're playing, they're, they're praying together. And the young officer who's, I think had just been married and, you know, getting ready to start a family. He asked the Mel Gibson character. He says, you know, does this hurt me being a father, will I not be good at the father? Will I not be a good of a father because of the military? And he says, I think I'd like to think that one makes me better at the other. And so I think if you take that approach to saying, Hey, when I regulate my emotions on the battlefield, it's the exact same thing as when my wife says something that really triggers me. I've got to have the leadership, the emotional control. I've got to perform in that situation because I've got my relationship to consider. I've got to consider the the modeling that I'm giving my children. And I wasn't able to do that. And so it's critical to me that when I teach that, I teach methods you can apply consistently and and repetitively throughout your life. And you'll get better at, at, at every situation when you, when you look at it like that. That that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, my dear friend, Tony here, you know, he's always been my mentor when it comes to like, just, just in relationships. And, you know, I'm a better husband because of Tony. I'm a better father because of Tony, but something that he said to me uh, last year that, that like has stuck with, I kind of, I'm kind of mad at you. Cause I wish you told me when, you know, my daughter was four and not 28, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, uh, Tony said that Tony gave me this and, and it's so great is that when you're when you're, when your family is hurting or when you're, when my daughter, like when she's messed up and she was a great kid, so she never really messed up. But those times where we felt that, that she messed up, those are the most important times for your love. It's not the time to the discipline at that point. Isn't the most, isn't the most important thing. What, what's important is that, is that you show your love to them. Then they need that more now than they, than they need anything else. And that's kind of just like a perspective switch, right? Like, like you get, you get all like worked up and like, you're going to have to learn from this. Like, no, you know what? You're going to have to love from this because they know they messed up. Yeah. You know, so, so why, so, so why hammer them down? And that was just, like I said, I wish you told me that when she was four and not 28, but you know, whatever, we'll get over it. Yeah. Cause they but, need you yeah. more now then, than than then when things are good. Right. Exactly. And that, and that's actually worked out well for me professionally too. Right. Like, you know what? We all kind of know when we messed up and then, you know, just, it'll be okay or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever that conversation is, but you know, you don't necessarily have to pile on necessarily. Well, I mean, that goes back to intentional leadership, right? Intentional leadership means that you're able to kind of detach emotionally from a situation and give that person what they need. If, you know, for example, when my son does something, when he doesn't, you know, when he acknowledges that he screwed up, that's easy to deal with. Right. I can give him the love in that situation and, and, and talk him through. But when he doesn't, when he's just like, 
whatever. And he's totally just, you know, not concerned about the actions, the, the decisions that he made. And you're like, that was really bad decision. And I'm upset about it. That's when it's really difficult. That's when I've got to like really kind of lower my energy level at that, in that moment, but still give him what he needs in that moment to be effective. And I think that's the big thing is intentional. Know who your people are that work for you, that work with you, know their personality, know what they respond to, uh, you know, that situational leadership, but also give them exactly what they need. And sometimes, like I always say, when we would teach instructors at boot camp, it's okay to yell at your recruits sometimes, but be yelling at it because that was a choice that you made because that's the tool that you want to employ yelling all the time. It doesn't do any good. People shut down. And I've seen that when I, when I fail to regulate my emotions in a military leadership situation, I literally, I remember one time, you know, we were doing assault training and part of the assault training is, you know, all the fun, after all the bad guys are, are shot or, or handcuffed, we would have to process that scene kind of like the FBI where you label everything, you label all the rooms, you gather up all the material and put it in bags and set it in a specific location, right? To make sure that you're kind of at processing evidence for intelligence and stuff like that. And the guys I, I felt like weren't taking it seriously. So I just kind of lost my mind. But the problem is, is I had done that probably I'd gone to that well too often. So I literally, I could just see them like just, the, it was a, it was an aha moment for me. I could just see kind of them just like, like, screw you. I'm not paying attention. I, whatever. And at that moment, I, you're like, all right, well, this is not effective. The, what I'm doing is not effective. And so I had to learn from that. And that could be hard if, if you're already used to a, a particular way of handling something and to try to learn a new way of doing it can be can be challenging. Yeah, and, and the challenge is, is that, like you said, he went to the well too often. Yeah. So now, like, now what's the next conversation like, right? Like, what's now you have to read, not only do you have to retrain yourself, but now you have to retrain your team too, you know? So, so the moment that, 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 that loud talk is no longer effective, now what? And then, so, I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you, Steve, what would you have to do? I mean, that's, it, it's not, it, that doesn't happen overnight. Like there, you have to now implement techniques to, to, to regain that trust from your, from, from your, your, your team. You know, I'll say this. I, I failed a lot as, as a, as a seal, as a leader. Uh, I mean, I guess everyone does, but I'm obviously we're more, probably more conscious of our, of our failures, our personal failures. And, and, you know, I get done a leadership, I get done a leadership block, right. Which is typically two years. And, and then I would reassess and say, man, I wish I had another crack at this because I would do it so much better. But the one thing that I had going for myself, I think, was my ability to kind of detach emotionally from a situation and kind of sit there and, and think about it and then say, all right, what did you learn? And then say, all right, well, I swallow my humble pie. And for that, for that specific incidence, I had to go back and, and have a conversation with the guys and say, and just start asking questions and say, do you know, you know, do you know why this is important? Do you know why this is important that we do this? Do you understand why it's important to me as the leader to make sure this happens, to actually have a conversation, talk to them like men. And, and, you know, sometimes when people are screwing up, when they're off the reservation, you know, it's time to time to yell at those people sometimes in the military, but, but that has to be the exception. It has to be more about coaching and more about kind of helping drive that sense of purpose, right? And, and, and understand that how the discipline and the motivation both are going to be pivotal to your success. I love it. 
I really love it. I mean, I, to go back to something earlier that he said was, it, it kind of reminds me of like being a coach, um, being like a high school football coach or something, is you have to know your team. You have to know what motivates them. You know, some, some of us need a kick in the butt, and some of us need a kick in the butt sometimes. And then some of us need a hug, you know, and, and that's the way that, like, like I've always, Steve, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm definitely a shutdown. You know, like like if you if if in you know maybe it's my dad, maybe it's whatever, but you know if 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 you get loud and aggressive with me, I shut down. You know, I can't perform under that. You know, but if you put your arm around me and be like, "We got this, bro," you know, then 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 I'm then I'm willing to run through a wall as well. But sometimes, you know, sometimes the yell isn't bad either. I don't know. So well, I remember I was teaching assault training once, and the whole thing, and this was how I was taught. Like in very basic stuff, people would berate you and criticize you. And the reason they would do that is obviously they want you to get it right. But sometimes it felt like they were nitpicking every little thing. And, and one of the, the purposes behind that, the methodology behind that was to induce stress. Nobody's actually shooting at you, but I want to induce stress because I want you to be able to function in stressful situations. And so when you're really, really worried about being criticized in front of all your teammates, it adds a level of stress. And it's not being shot at. It's not a fear of death, but sometimes like humiliation and, you know, <laughs> being thought less of your teammates, it can be, can be worse than death. And so that, that was one of the situations. And so you yell at people to induce that stress, but if you don't regulate it, right, if you're not thoughtful about it, then you're not serving that. I remember there's one situation I'm yelling at this kid. Cause I'm like, he's not getting it. And I'm yelling it. And I just, he turned around and looked at me. And it was just like the most, like if you could have taken a picture and put it in a dictionary of overwhelm, <laughs> that he would have been it. And so I, it, again, it was a moment for me to be like this, like what I'm doing is not helping him in this situation. Now we get rid of people all the time that can't pick it up fast enough, but it's on me to make sure that I'm giving them the tools they need. I'm giving the best quality instruction to give them the opportunity to prove that they belong. And so I had to kind of, D decide, Hey, you need to coach more uh, and hold people to a high standard. If they're not cutting it, then you address it, but you got to coach them more. Right. And not just yell at them when they're, when they're screwing up. I loved what you said earlier about using yelling as a tool, you know, not, not as an emotional kind of like crutch, but as a tool, like if you, if you're going to do this and, and, you know, I listen, I don't recommend anyone yell at somebody in a salon, but, but, um, but in that, if you're going to use these things, these emotional looking things, you know, to use it purposefully, which is what you were doing, um, use it purposefully, or even like you were saying, like, just to put the pressure on, you know, I get that, that that's purpose-based. You know what I mean? So, um, so I, I love that again, using, using those as a tool as well. And you would think as a parent that would work out well as well, right? Like when you when you're when you're putting the pressure on them, but 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 again, it's being purposeful. It's not within yourself. It's 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 for the betterment of them and not your own. There's connection time for everything. Yeah, There's time for everything. Love them more now. They need they need your love more now than ever, right? Whether that's uh, whether that's the pressure or whether that's the hug, man. I love that. And uh, you've uh, is it impossible not to use it in your marriage or or uh, or as a parent? Just in terms that, of just the techniques that you've used and that you've been going is it's made me a better parent for sure. And I'm still a work in progress, right? I still, are, bud. yeah, man, I, I still, I, I still fall short, but the difference now is, is that I don't punish myself. I hold myself accountable, but you've got to learn to free yourself from the emotional baggage of, of, of decisions or, or times that you fall short. You got to separate it. Instead, you've got to turn your attention to what's next. Here's, I'm not going to say what I'm not going to do, 
Instead, I'm going to replace it with what I'm going to do. Right. So inevitably, when you when you teach, when you talk to your kids, right, what I've learned in psychology is don't tell your kids not to do something. Tell them what to do. And that's the same. And what research says about when you give people feedback in a professional setting, oftentimes we focus on what they did wrong and we talk about that. And what happens is what the research says is they may say, hey, you're not even qualified to criticize me on that. I don't even respect what you're saying right now because you're not even in the right, you're not the right person to give me this criticism. Or we misremember what happened. Like we would, no, that didn't happen. That's not, I, I, or you minimize your involvement in something that went poorly. Instead, what I suggest is people take that feedback and they apply it to what you're going to do because the future is optimism. And we can all get on board with that. So you you talk about what didn't go wrong, how we failed to meet the standards, but you spend most of your time directing it towards that future focus on what we're going to do right in the future. And I think that's a lot. And that, that's with kids. Example, that's with anything. You have an example you can kind of share? Yeah. So if the guys, let's say in, in, a, in a tactical situation, if we do, we go do a run through the city in the middle of the night and, and guys will just – or, or uh, let, let's say the guys were not, or let's just use the example I used earlier. And the guys are basically not doing the, what we call it site sensitive exploitation, SSE, which is processing the scene after an assault. They're not doing that. And I'm really frustrated with that. I, I would go back to our, our debrief, our after action, our AAR, our hot wash, as we would call it. We'd be all be around the sand table. We'd have a mock-up of the city and we'd be talking, we'd be debriefing. And I'd say, look, I said, the assault went great. You guys did exactly what you needed to do. Problem is when we got to post assault procedures, this is what I saw. And, and this is what I saw. And I'm hoping to ask, I'm hoping to elicit a concurrence with the fact that, yeah, okay, well, maybe that didn't go right. Uh, once I can establish that we're kind of on that frame reference, I will then say, okay, next assault, here's what I want to do. Hey, uh, I want to make sure you, John, whatever team leader, uh, make sure that you do that. Okay. You're great on the assault, but here's what I want you to do. Let's make sure that we get this done. We're all going to get this done. It's all a collective. We are going to do this, right? It's you succeeded, right? I love to hear that from, from leaders who are like, you succeeded. We could do better or I could do better, right? You don't see that in leadership, especially in politics, right? But you know, those are the kind of things that we need to do a better job and hear specifically what we're going to do. If they fail to, hey, you got out of your room without labeling the room. Okay, we're going to label the room next time. We're going to take the stuff out of that guy's pocket and put it in a bag. We're going to leave it in the right-hand corner of that room, okay? So I don't know if that's a great example, but well, just the well, same thing. Well, I mean, the the we you thing is like that's, you know, you deserve all the success. We deserve all the failure. We deserve how we can do better. But you did. Great. I love that. I mean, I think that 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 is mega, mega, super powerful. And and, and I'm, I'm definitely going to be using that technique in the future. I love that, man. Yeah. So it, and, and fundamentally, if you see something went wrong, like ask yourself or before you give feedback, what does right look like? Right. That's always a, a cliche. Right. Know what right looks like. You see it on all the military commercials when you're overseas. It's so cheesy. But in this sense, it's it's appropriate because if you're doing something wrong, visualize what does success look like? So let's talk about that. Let's focus on that. That's it, man. What, wow. What's the big picture? What's the mission? You know, 
I love that. Steve, man, you've given us a wealth, man. I, I love it. I, I, I'm absorbing it. We are absorbing. No, no, no. You, you I, I, I'm absorbing You it did all. a great job. We <laughs> enjoy it. Oh, it was tons of fun. Was, I, had a, I had a blast. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Th- thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for uh, giving us little uh, little uh, uh, tids on, uh, on, on leadership. So how can brands, companies learn more about you, learn more about your message and, 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 you know, leadership and how, how can everybody just kind of find you? Yeah. If you, uh, if you want to discuss how, how I can help your organization or, or if you want to discuss with me, how I can kind of help you with your, where you're stuck in life and how you want to perform better, just reach out to me on my website. It's uh Steven drum.com. It's uh S T E P H E N uh, drum D R U M.com or Steve at Steven drum.com. So that, that'd be the best way. We can have a conversation about it. Steven. That's awesome, man. Once again, thank you clubhouse for, uh, for letting us, uh, letting us find, uh, Steve drum.com, mm. Steven drum.com. Master uh, chief, master chief, master chief drum. Um, do you get, do, do you get, do you miss being called master chief? No, it's, uh, you know, we're not super hung up on titles, uh, especially in the seal teams, but what's funny is, you know, it, Having said that, right, I go by it, right? Because for the reasons I described earlier, but, you know, as a speaker, there are certain habits and and procedures that you need to be consistent with. Because the one time that I didn't go over my bio with somebody, they introduced me as retired Navy SEAL master chef, (laughs) which which was funny, right? But uh, I I was waiting for the questions in the Q&A afterwards about my recipes and stuff like that. (laughs) That's yeah. Like, you you need chef. to come up with a couple of recipes, I think. I know, right? Man, <laughs> chief chef, whatever. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> Speaking of chef, you know, this guy's a big barbecue guy. So if you ever... Oh, I love barbecue. You have, to, uh, you, you have to hit us up. Mr. Steven Drum, thank you very, very much for spending time with us. And thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great one. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>